today I'm speaking to Ritzy Bryan, who is the lead singer and lead guitarist for the band The Joy Formidable. Um, the Joy Formidable have been around for sort of 10 or 12 years now, and I recently found out that it's the 10-year anniversary of their debut EP. So Ritzy, could, could you tell me a little bit about what do The Joy Formidable sound like for those who haven't heard them, and also what it's been like revisiting an EP after 10 years as you've re-released it? Yeah, of course. Um, well, like you mentioned, uh, yeah, I think with Matt, our drummer, um, so we celebrated our 10-year anniversary uh, in November of last year. Um, we, I, I mean, I, it's uh, it's always a tough one describing your own music. Um, and we've kind of dipped in and out of um, aesthetically quite a few different things. Um, we're a three-piece, I suppose that helps to describe it. So guitar, bass and drums. Um, but we've also done a lot of acoustic touring. Um, we sing mostly in English, but Origin and I are from Wales originally. So we have a bilingual element as well uh, to what we do. It's, um, I guess, you know... Uh, I think when you you probably look it up on something that's algorithmy, all that bullshit data stuff, it's alternative. <laughs> um, but a whole, you know, a whole load of, uh, of we like texture, we like emotion. I mean, ly lyrically uh, has been a big driving force of this band. Um, it's guitar based, but it isn't always guitar based as well. We've done a lot of um, orchestral um, work at the same time. Um, as long as it, you know, as long as we feel like we're constantly saying something and telling a story, and that we, um, you know, we can get behind it and it means something to us, then musically it can kind of take a few different, it can take it some different shapes. I suppose we always feel at peace with that because I think that's the beautiful thing about being a, you know, ten years old as a band. Um, I kind of feel like we have a signature in whatever we do so even if it goes off in loads of different um you know instrumentation or uh just in different um, musical ways i think it's still anchored by you know whatever the the voice of the the joy formidable actually is Yeah, as you say, Balloon Called Moaning is now 10 years old and you've gone back and revisited it. You've done some newer versions, some acoustic versions and also some Welsh language versions of your songs. I was wondering what it's been like to go back and play those songs again and what it was like to go back and put yourself in the mind of the Joy Formidable 10 years ago. I didn't expect it to be quite so nostalgic in a way. Um, I guess time is a really, I mean, time anyway the reality of time is a strange thing <laughs> strange thing um whatever you end up um doing as a career but i think it's particularly strange uh, sometimes in music um it feels you know there's a lot of waiting around but there's also a lot of pace to things as well, as well um so you know sometimes we look back at photos and we can't believe that that was like a year ago <laughs> it's like mm. you know we sometimes you just pack so much into a year that it you know it feels like a lot of time has passed so um, it was kind of surprising to us that a decade had actually passed in in some ways. Um, we kind of, you know, we've done such a lot um, from starting the band 
but in a lot of ways it doesn't feel like 10 years it feels like we're kind of just getting going <laughs> as well you know so um but i didn't expect it to be quite so um nostalgic um and i think part of that was um rather than um not you know not to put this down as a as a way of celebrating either because i think it's lovely when artists re reissue um their work that they've done um earlier especially when you haven't been able to pick up the vinyl or anything like that for a while but i think having to go back and actually translate it into welsh i guess i had to kind of um tussle with it a little bit more um kind of remember um what it is that i was writing about all those years ago and um you know it's kind of like a deeper cut i suppose of revisiting the work mm. um in the in the translatory uh, process um and that definitely felt quite nostalgic it brought up a lot of memories of where we were and uh, what we were exploring at the time and Ridgen and I and this was really the first body of work where Ridgen and I were writing together and we were um butting heads a lot but we were also really excited about all these um you know all these sounds and all these ideas that were that were coming together too so um yeah, it's been a really, like I said, a, a much more nostalgic process than I than I expected it it to be, and quite a challenge as well. Um, I think I underestimated translating a body of work because we've always done we've done a lot of Welsh language stuff, but always straight, you know, just writing in in Welsh. Actually, having to kind of find the Welsh translation to something that's already been written. Yeah, that that fucking took a minute. <laughs> you know, to do it to do it justice as well, I suppose. You know, because you want it to sound just as beautiful and uh, poetic. You know, <laughs> in both languages. I thought it was interesting that as a band you chose to sort of dip into the Welsh language, and it would be certain versions of songs, and some songs here and there would. Um, be written in Welsh mm -hmm. and I was wondering what it is that makes you choose when you're starting to write a song this one's Welsh this one's English and how you approach those two languages differently with writing uh, yeah that's a, an interesting question I think because Welsh um, I guess as the you know normally the main lyricist in the band I think um, I think Welsh is my second language and I, even though I learned it when I was quite young um, I don't dream in Welsh I don't think in Welsh um, you know um, it's it's not always like a natural uh, language for um, writing down ideas so you know a lot of the creative process for me is just like you know it's normally like waking up in the middle of the night and scribbling things in notebooks or on walks or in the bath or you know whereas that doesn't happen as much in welsh but it does and when it when it happens it's quite rare which maybe um is the reason where maybe some of the welsh material is a little bit more sparse um but when it does it normally comes from there being an idea or a really nice welsh uh, way of saying things it may be something that you can ex extend um a poem from um or something like that and i think that does kind of um govern what you know which way that you know language wise the song is going and and other times we have a body of work you know a, a whole piece of music that just doesn't have anything and we'll just think well we haven't fucking written anything in welsh for a minute let's you know <laughs> let's just kill it let's uh, just kind of keep keep that kind of uh, uh lubricated i suppose for want of a better word do you feel like you're keeping a dedicated group of welsh fans happy by, by keeping churning out songs in the welsh language 
I don't know. I've never asked them, but I think it's more about <laughs> keeping me happy because I've really enjoyed um, exploring um, my lyrical uh, Welsh uh, the, the side, you know, um, and I love it as a language. It's a beautiful language. It fascinates me as well that, um, you know, you really have to... You, I don't know, the one thing that I, I always feel is that um, I have to work a little bit harder at finding ways of, you know, saying things that sound musically and phonetically good sometimes I feel like that's a a bit more of a challenge to me in Welsh so I kind of feel like I keep coming back to it just because it's you know you find out something new every time and it's fascinating how you know how it especially after doing the translation how it it feels a little bit more natural now with every time I used to shy away from it you know because I used to always think that um I used to think that I pronounced things funny in Welsh. My mum and dad are both, um, my dad's Welsh, but he's not a Welsh speaker. My mum's from Manchester. And I, you know, so I always considered myself a little bit of a learner, a Welsh learner. Um, and you, you know, you kind of question the way that you say things. It never sounded as natural as like um, some, some of my friends that spoke Welsh as a first language. But it's good to kind of push mm. through it. I found it, you know, I think I used to shy away from it a little bit because I kind of thought that I sounded a bit, a bit, a bit like a monk trying to, or a little puddling trying to speak Welsh. But it's been, uh, like I said, it's nice not shying away from those things and just really like, you know, keep going back and keep doing it. And then realising that, that it, you know, you get more and more enjoyment out of it. One thing you've always written about throughout your career is nature. Mm -hmm. There's always songs about animals and your artwork has been very nature themed. And you've moved from Wales and you're now based in Utah. And I was wondering how the different nature of those two places has informed the way you write and how the lifestyle of living somewhere so different like that has changed how you um, how you live and how that affects your music. Yeah, I think uh, I've definitely managed to find uh, little wild spots <laughs> where there's not many people. Um, and I think part of that is obviously where we grew up. We grew up in uh, rural North Wales. And I think, yeah, we have um, definitely our imaginations have always been uh, quite connected to those big Welsh rolling mountains and valleys and rivers. And, you know, like there's a big part of, um, you know, me growing up and a, um, a big part of like just literature and poetry that I've always enjoyed as well has always had that kind of connection to to nature and it's so strange because um I see so many parallels in some ways I mean they're so on the eye they're so vastly <laughs> fucking different like Utah and um and Wales but they're both rugged and wild and you can kind of lose yourself in them and they feel quite mystical but in completely different different ways so it um it kind of makes sense to me and then it also makes no sense to me occasionally I, I get up in the morning and look out at the all the cactus and the roadrunners and <laughs> the jackrabbits and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> um, but I can tell why I've gravitated, um, you know, gravitated to, to southern Utah. And I, and I feel very lucky because, I, I, like I said, I spend a lot of time in, in North Wales too. So, you know, really get to enjoy both. Um, you know, they're on the eye, very different. I recently heard an interview with John Hopkins when he was talking about one song that he was especially happy with and it didn't come across as arrogant at all but he did say 
that if he never managed to write another song that he liked, he was so happy with the way this one came out that that wouldn't worry him. <laughs> and I was kind of wondering if that's something that's ever happened as a band when you're like, this is it, we've done it. This is like the ideal, joy formidable song. Even if we never write something we like again, this is what we've, you know, we've managed to write this. Well, I think, I mean, I, I, guess I can certainly, you know, there's elements of being able to relate to that. I mean, there's some songs that you just end up always feeling connected to, I think, throughout your career. Um, for me, it'd be something like the ever-changing spectrum of a, of a lie that was on the first um, full-length record. But, um, but at the same time, I mean, I get so twitchy about what creatively is kind of coming next <laughs> as well. Um, you know, um, which is always why uh, there's a part of me that kind of um i don't know certainly uh, with the next body of work and um not being able to tour and, and maybe it's what is actually kind of uh, the kind of creative push behind the the music club that we've been doing because um we can just kind of release music and different types of music and experiment and try different things and put it out um whenever we we want you know um because i think that's the one thing as an i mean most artists will complain that when they've finished their album that they have to fucking you know the whole traditional model of then waiting you know six or seven months before you actually get to share it i mean it's, you're always on to the next fucking thing by the time people are you know actually listening to it um so i think there's still that creative urge um we've nearly finished our next record and there's a few tracks on there where i i do actually i feel a little bit more peaceful maybe in that sense i do i do kind of feel like oh yeah like if you know if i couldn't write any more songs for some reason after this then i'd i'd, I'd you know i can maybe rest a little bit better than than prior to this album but um just that happy balance i suppose between f feeling really connected um with your music um and always kind of uh looking for a, for a, a new way of saying things we'd released um hitch and that was we made i mean absolutely loved the process of making that record it was a very um live aesthetically live album uh we we did it in north wales um out of uh my old childhood house there set it up as a as a live room and we did produced it all ourselves um it was very much a you know kind of a, a live sounding album let the tape roll and just you know um record and, and get it down and then move on to the next track so um i suppose capturing you know we wanted to capture more of the live aesthetic of the band so we had a a blast making it we had nobody interfering you know it was fucking lovely but when it came to actually putting putting it out uh we just ran into so many different obstacles uh distribution the label uh label went bankrupt then they sued tried to sue us um just i mean what did they try and sue you for i don't even fucking remember now i remember at the time it was like it <laughs> felt like a, a bit surreal you know since because i i mean the hilarious thing as well with that record we obviously our fan base um have a really strong connection with the fan base we've always um i don't know had a conversation like a good strong conversation like we've always enjoyed the idea of building a community um together and 
they were, you know, they were about a year late in actually getting the record, which was down, certainly no fault of the bands. And then it was almost like a fucking joke because they started sending them out and they were sending out empty sleeves, like more than one empty sleeve. Like they'd send one empty sleeve and then a fucking another empty <laughs> sleeve. You know, almost oh to God. the point where if, you know, if you got two... Obviously, it's fine to get upset about it, but it was very, yeah, it was very disheartening. It felt like somebody was f- fucking with what we'd spent a long time growing and caring about, you know, that it was, it, they'd easily come along and just kind of chipped away at all the trust, you know, that we'd kind of grown between our fan base. And I think that's the thing that we we just uh, came away from that experience very tired. We changed management. We just had a huge, like, you know, like, change everything moment. I think we just felt quite tired from from it all. And an album that mm. we'd really loved putting together. And we spent a long time making that record, you know. Um, just kind of uh, felt like somebody had just come along and <laughs> ruined it, you know. Yeah. And um, in just a, a few tiny steps as well. So... I mean, we're pretty fucking thick-skinned. I mean, we've had loads, there's been so many things through the history of this band that have been hilarious, you know, in high insight later on, but at the time have felt quite stingy. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, we're quite thick-skinned, but I think we just felt tired out and I felt we've, you know, we needed a new team and we needed to step away. And um, oh, at the same time, we'd like... On a personal level, Bridget and I had gone through two like bad breakups, and we're just tired, fucked off with everything, you know. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I don't know, you know, we were we were questioning whether or not we just needed to um, step away for a minute and then come back a bit more revitalised. But I think the actual um, the energy came back from actually going back in the studio, which we w- we weren't sure if it was going to happen like that. We we said, well, let's just go in and get these demos down and if we're enjoying it great and if we're not then we'll have a conversation and it, it actually breathed a whole new um i don't know a whole new chapter of life into us in a way where i think we we just felt like actually you know let's not lose sight of how um creative we are when we get together how much we enjoy it um i don't know it just felt like we shouldn't let um just things pile up so that it almost takes away the reason that you started doing this in the first place one thing that must keep you positive about working in the industry is when you find someone else in the industry who really sticks by you and mm-hmm. i remember right in the early days hearing that dave Grohl was a fan of yours mm-hmm. yeah um and you you know you did a tour with him in 2018 so he's obviously stayed a fan and you're i imagine your friends now so i was just wondering what is it like going on tour with a band like that they're notorious for crazy things happening he's recently brought like rick astley out on stage and he's <laughs> yeah. playing with a broken leg and all these kinds of totally. things what's it like touring with the foo fighters um i guess the the biggest thing to you know uh, it kind of mirrors your own experience and we have the one thing that's always kept us on the road and makes it almost like a you know an obsession is the camaraderie I suppose the music and the camaraderie and the experience and they have a really um family-esque vibe backstage in the same way that we do um you know obviously on a smaller scale but um you can tell you know that they they're into what they do they're very open and they treat their 
crew and their bands really nice. Um, uh, so it makes for just a, a much happier, more uh, enjoyable tour, really, if that's the vibe backstage, um, that everybody really wants to be there. I mean, I think it's fascinating all these, you know, uh, 10 years of touring. Uh, it still fascinates me that we've crossed paths with um, artists and bands that just look like they're hating every second of it, which, you know, mm. is... I mean, whatever fucking, whatever keeps you going, you know, some people thrive on, on the angst of it all, but it, that, that isn't really my style. You know, I like to be around people who inspire me and, um, and people that you like having around. I don't want toxicity, you know, like, uh, I want to get, yeah. get off on, on having, you know, a, an experience together. Um, and the Foo Fighters definitely, you know, they cap capture that in the way that we've all, that's been the thing that we've always wanted to kind of keep, you know, the life thing is the, is the place that your band has complete control of, you know, I'll just explain, you know, kind of give you a little insight into fucking when you hand your work over to a record label, well, the live side of things, you know, for the most part, that's like, that's the truth of it all, you know, and, um, and that's, I think that's kind of always, um, given us the, I don't know that connection with the fans and going out every night and uh, I'm, I'm playing music that you've written nobody can really fuck with that Ritzy it's time for you to give us your hidden gem uh, what would you like to tell us about? Um, well um, I think I think this is probably my favourite book although I suppose that can, can go up and down and change around a little bit as well but it's a book that I've mentioned uh, to people in the past and um, they haven't always recognised it or they ha haven't read it. Um, I think it's it's probably gained a little bit in popularity. I think it's maybe been included in a few more book lists that came out in the 60s and then it was reissued in, this 90, in the 70s. Um, but it's a book called Stoner um, by John Edward Williams. And um, I just... I don't know. I just think everybody should sit down and read that. Is this the most beautiful book? Um, and totally unexpected. I found it completely by accident. And isn't that just magical when that when that happens? <laughs> you know. So yeah. yeah. So what's the what's the premise? I'm not telling you. <laughs> You've got to read. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not spoiling it. How can we keep up to date with what the Joy Formidable are doing? Um, and obviously it's coronavirus at the moment. So have you got new dates booked? How can we find you on social media? Uh, usual places. The website is always a good kind of hub for going to everywhere. That's uh, thejoyformidable.com. Um, I, I mean, we had a load of dates cancelled Um I think most have been moved to next year. There's a couple that we're that are still up in the air. Um, I think we're because, like I said, I feel very uh, very lucky in a way because this year was always going to be a little bit of a recording year for us. Anyway, uh, we didn't have a load of stuff in the books, um, so I think we're you know in a little bit of a nicer position of just being able to at least like see how things go and and how um, the touring is gonna, going to look next year. But we're hopeful that we'll be able to do all the shows that have been moved into next year. And really, at the moment, if anybody wants to 
listen to some new music it's um all through our music club that's been the the main thing that we've been focusing on since we can't go out and play live uh, that's really been the main source of income for us this year is the music club and um yeah we just love how it's turned out we've been doing these um uh, little music concerts and there's a track you get a, a new track every month and uh, little gifts and all sorts of uh, fun merch and things like that and uh, get to see Matt uh, doing a fucking encore with a dancing squirrel um, <laughs> <laughs> not a real squirrel because that sounds pretty cruel and circus like but <laughs> yeah <laughs> So yeah, so that's been the main the main focus. It's it's been nice throwing ourselves into the new album, and uh, and the music club. You know, while things are a bit fucked, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Well, yeah, I look forward to uh, seeing you live again and hearing what you've been writing in this time. But thank you, um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, thank you for um, the interview. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you over in the UK next year.